You'll all be familiar with Danny Dutton. Danny is an eight-year-old, and he's from Chula Vista, a town well known to you, in California. And uh, for his third grade homework assignment, he had to do, the title was called, uh, the title to his third grade homework assignment was Explain God. (laughs) So this is Danny Dart, not explaining God. One of God's main jobs is making people. He makes them to replace the ones that die so there will be enough people to take care of things on earth. He doesn't make grown-ups, just babies. I think because they are smaller and easier to make. (laughs) That way he doesn't have to take up his valuable time teaching them to talk and walk. He can just leave that to the mothers and fathers. God's second most important job is listening to prayers. An awful lot of this goes on since some people, like preachers and things, pray at times besides bedtime. God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV because of this. Doesn't he watch God TV? Because he hears everything, there must be a terrible lot of noise in his ears, unless he has thought of a way to turn it uh, turn it off. God sees everything and hears everything and is in everywhere, which keeps him pretty busy. So you shouldn't go wasting his time by going over your mum and dad's head asking for something they've said you can't have. <laughs> Atheists. Atheists are people who don't believe in God. I don't think there are any in Chula Vista. At least there aren't any who come to our church. Jesus is God's son. He used to do all the hard work like walking on water and performing miracles and trying to teach the people who didn't want to learn about God. They finally got tired of him preaching to them and Jesus said they didn't know what they were doing and to forgive them and God said, okay. His dad, in brackets, God, appreciated everything that he had done and all his hard work on earth. So he told him he didn't have to go on the road anymore he could stay in heaven. So he did. And now he helps his dad by listening to prayers and seeing things which are important for God to take care of and which ones he can take care of himself without having to bother God. Like a secretary, only more important. <laughs> you can pray any time you want and they are sure to hear you because they got it worked out so, some, uh, so one of them is on duty all the time. <laughs> Bang goes the eternal nature of God. Yeah. You should you should always go to church. Now listen to this one. You should always go to church on Sunday because it makes God happy. And if there's anybody you want to make happy, it's God. <laughs> Don't skip church to do something you think will be more fun like going to the beach. This is wrong. And besides, the sun doesn't come out at the beach until noon anyway. If you don't believe in God, besides being an atheist, uh, you will be lonely because your parents can't go everywhere with you like to camp, but God can. Ah, yes. It's good to know he's around when you're scared in the dark or when you can't swim very good 
and you get thrown into the real deep water by big kids. But you shouldn't just always think of what God can do for you. I figure God put me here and he can take me back anytime he pleases. And that's why I believe in God. There you go. Come on. Now, you'll all have heard of Jerusalem. And there was a a little boy called David who lived there. Well, actually, he was quite a big boy. And uh, we haven't got this scripture on the on the slides, but if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, we'll just read David's view of God. This is uh, David praying um, at the the offering for the temple. Remember they had in the Old Testament they had a huge offering. David gave lots of money into it, and they had a huge offering for the building of the temple because it was his. Although it was his son. Who was going to build it? It was David, you know, who, David who raised the money. Um, at least we have this offering here. So 1 Chronicles 29, we had Nahum. What an excellent sermon that was last week, wasn't it? Was David here, David Carter? He's down in the youth, isn't it? Let's give David a round of applause for last week. So. He's down there somewhere, doing the youth. Um, <laughs> so I suddenly struck me, gosh, we've not had a sermon from the Old Testament for a while. I hadn't intended to look at this passage, but kind of discovered it en route to somewhere else. But here's David, and here's David praying to God. And and as he prays, I want you to kind of just lift out the words in this passage. There's only three or four verses in his prayer that indicate something about God. Because we're trying to describe, just like Danny Dutton described his experience of God, this is David's experience of God, and I hope it will be your experience too. So... 1 Chronicles 29 verse 10 reads, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O God, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. And in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Amen? Would you like to follow a God like that? Oh, thank you very much. You must have read my mind, Julie. I was just thinking I could do with a drink. It would be good to, well, it, it is good. Not only would it be good, but it is good to worship and follow a God like that. A God of power. A God of majesty. A, a ruler. We've just been singing about how we exalt God. And how he is high and lifted up above all things. Now the topic I want to look at this morning actually is God. But it's also you. If uh, I don't know if the title, did this title go on the family news? Not sure if it did. You might, if you got a title. Anybody know what the title is of this morning? No, you don't know, sir. Right, you obviously didn't get the news. I've called it very simply, What is Royalty? What is Royalty? So I was just waiting for that. Oh, David, you're not preaching on that again, are you? <laughs> All right, you didn't have that. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> You see, 
In all the talks I've ever done on royalty, I've never stopped, you may not have noticed this, to actually define what it is. And I thought, well, that's a bit of a remiss, really, because we may have all sorts of ideas about royalty, particularly around this time, particularly in rela- if you're from the UK, particularly in relationship to the royal family. And when I first came across the idea that I was royal, there, there we are, there's that truth just slipped in there, that I'm part of the royal priesthood, that actually, if we take the message translation of Revelation 5, I am a king priest, and if you've done evening school or daytime school, or just been in the church in the last couple of years, or three years, maybe it's four, maybe it's even longer than that, that I've been talking about royalty, you probably won't have heard of me try to define it. So we're all wandering around, knowing we are royal, we're actually really not understanding what it is, well, not fully understanding, I'm sure you've had plenty of thoughts about it. So what is royalty? And where do we look for it and where do we find, you know, a description of it? Well, there aren't many verses in the, in the scriptures where you can simply go and look it up. If you look up royalty in your concordance, uh, you probably won't, well, you may find it, but, you, uh, you know, um, I challenge you to do that. I wasn't able to find in my Strong's concordance uh, a particular topic bag. I looked in the Bible dictionaries, it wasn't listed as a topic. Does that mean it's not actually there? Well, I want to demonstrate this morning that actually is there, that actually our model for royalty has to be God, doesn't it? Earthly royalty will have some lessons for us. We have a great queen, you know, where they do some magnificent things in our nation. There are other royals around the world who have done very similar things as well, or similar things. But actually, if our concept of royalty is tied into a human concept, we're going to miss out greatly on the idea that we are royalty. If we can be royal like God, then we'll have got royalty down to, I was going to say a fine art, but um, we'll have start to learn and imbibe and get this sense of impartation with God. Because I, I believe that God wants to impart his royalty today. Do you want to go out more royal than you came in this morning? Yes? His Royal Highness, I'm looking for that, Prince David, Prince James, Princess Joe, Princess Mike, Princess Sarah, (laughs) Prince Mike. Sorry. That was going to happen, wasn't it? Yeah, I came to church today and got a sex change. You know, wasn't quite what he intended. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. See me afterwards. Um, I mean, beat me up after. I don't mean you. <laughs> okay, ministry team at the end of the meeting. I have a word of knowledge. There's a man down here. He's about six foot two, and he's a in the medical profession. Needs your help. Right. Okay. You want to go? My my goal in the next little while, is to, that you will get some idea what it means to be royal. You will have some key, key ideas. In fact, I'll give you five key ideas about the royalty of God. Number one, can we have the first slide? When you think about the royalty of God, think about the word highness. Highness. Now, you've already been singing about it this morning. Isn't it lovely? I mean, worship leaders and people who do sermons, they don't often confer Actually, it's best that they don't, because it seems it works out better that way. And so many songs we sang were about 
lifting Jesus up and him being higher. God is your highness, isn't he? We are so used to using that in our country at least for the royal family, his or her highness. In fact, it, 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 we kind of lose the end, don't we? It goes highness or you, know, you, you lose a bit in the middle or as a silent H or something like that. Actually, God is the highest. He has highness as part of his being. There is nothing higher than God. So God exalted Jesus to the highest place. Yeah? No doubt about that. God, to use the theological word, God is transcendent. It's a good word, isn't it? Transcendent. He transcends everything else. There's nothing higher than God. However you measure that, whether that's in power, authority, or being, whatever, every measure, God is the highest. He is the main man. He's the big cheese. That's not in the Bible, but you know what I mean. Okay? He's the main man. He's, there's nothing higher than God. The miracle is that he has taken you to be in the same place as him. You see, there's a kind of thought and a philosophy around that somehow to exalt God more, you need to lower yourself more. Where did that come from? <laughs> Where did that come from? If I lower myself more, I exalt God more. Look, folks, you cannot exalt God more. He doesn't get any higher than higher. <laughs> There's a song there somewhere, isn't it? Higher, higher, higher. Yeah. But we have the mistaken belief some, sometimes that if we kind of just grovel and lower ourselves, somehow we need to do that to make God higher. And that just is not true. In fact, that's a lie, as David was indicating here. A lie of the enemy, isn't it? Why do I know that? Because of the gospel. The gospel just simply teaches is that you died with Christ in his crucifixion, were raised with Christ in his resurrection, and are now seated with him in heavenly places. In the majesty. You're up there with God. In heaven there's one hierarchy, God and you, and even that isn't quite a good description of the fact that you are actually in Christ, Christ is in you, where is Christ now? Seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So you, when you believe in Jesus, and if you're not a Christian, folks, you need to, be, you need to get to become a Christian. Get to become a Christian. You need to become a Christian. <laughs> because it's so wonderful. Because Jesus will, trans, as Joe was saying earlier, will transform your life. Your sins will be forgiven by his death. You'll be raised into new life because of his resurrection. But it doesn't stop there. You get raised up to heaven to be with him, seated on his level. And he chose you to be there. That's the thing. Not because of your God work, good works. Not because you've, you're better than anybody else. In fact, God's way of leveling us all is to take us up to the highest level. There is no lowest common denominator in the Christian life. He's taking you to be there. So you are royal because you're with the royal person who is higher than anybody else and is seated in heavenly places and you're seated in heavenly places with him. It must rub off on you, mustn't it? You have Jesus' nature in you. The divine nature has been poured into you by the Holy Spirit. If he is royal and if highness is part of that royalty, then highness is part of you. 
You don't have to tell any, well, you don't have to exalt yourself in it. You see, you are humbled through the cross and the things that are humbled are exalted. You don't have to kind of work on this. You just need to appropriate it and know that it's true. Let's have the second slide. If that wasn't amazing enough, we've got the second slide. God is wealthy. Is that true? I thought all people who came to church were poor. (laughs) I thought Jesus was poor. He went around, didn't seem to have any material means to... Didn't have any cars, well, you know, didn't have many, if any, material possessions apart from the shirt on his back. Surely God is poor. Surely poor is noble. Well, can be in some, some respects, but God is not poor. Why am I rubbing my hands? <laughs> God is not poor, is he? God is worth. All our honour and praise, and there's that rather intriguing verse or word. Why is that word wealth in there? Wealth? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth? Money? Possessions? The earth? The planets? The solar system? The universe? The entire cosmos that we... uh, Constantly finding more and more, not just stars and planets, but galaxies. So that's a light to say, that's a whole lot of chocolate. But uh, sorry. Wealth, God is wealth, isn't it? You see, we are a little bit embarrassed by that as Christians. We're still kind of sometimes have what we call a poverty mentality about our money. You know, should we give, should we not give? How much should we give? Should we give a, should, how much should we tithe? Should we not tithe? Should we tithe on the gross or tithe on the net? You know, and uh, what about, what if I get some extra money? Do I really have to give that away? Can't I spend it on myself? You know, sort of, what about the church? What about the needs? What about the poor? What about blah, 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 blah. <sighs> wealth, wealth, wealth. We shouldn't be, I mean, we need to be careful and thoughtful, but you see what I'm getting at? We are so kind of, I don't know, if you've got a rich uncle who's always giving you gifts, so much so it's embarrassing. Have you ever said to God, God, stop giving me things? (laughs) Why not? Why have we never been like that? Because we kind of feel there's something a little bit, you know, a bit unholy about money. And wealth. Don't want to fall into that terrible prosperity gospel stuff here, whatever that is. (laughs) But actually, God is wealthy. Everything under heaven and earth belongs to Him. He must be wealthy. You belong to Him. I belong to Him. The chair you're sitting on, it belongs to Him. This building belongs to Him. It's all His. So much so that in that passage in 1 Chronicles 29, David says, We're giving you stuff, Lord, but it's only stuff you've given to us in the first place. That's a bit... How does that work? Well, God loves to involve us in giving, doesn't he? And there's a sense in which we steward his wealth. But God is wealthy. So that makes you... if If he is royal and wealthiness is part of his royalty, that makes... And you are royal, that makes you very wealthy people, doesn't it? Because your dad owns the whole universe. So you are wealthy. Put your hand on your pocket. Not your heart. Put your hand on your pocket and say, I am wealthy. Well, it depends where you keep your pocket, of course. But, you know, I mean, your 
your, um, your pocket, your wallet, or your purse. <laughs> okay? You are wealthy. Now I know there's a, you know, there's, we, we haven't got time this morning to get into the whole contra- controversy about Christians and wealth and money and all that sort of thing. All the point I'm making is, even if you measure it in what we call spiritual wealth. See, Jesus, he's stinking rich. Oh, that Jesus, he's so stinking rich. One Corinthians, I'll get it right this time. One Corinthians, chapter, uh, two Corinthians rather, chapter 8. He who was rich became poor so that we who are poor might become rich. There it is right there. You ever wonder whether you're rich? Yes, you are. Oh, yes, brother, but that's just spiritual riches. Well, let's just take spiritual riches for the moment. That's enough. In Christ Jesus, you are blessed with what? Every, say with me, every, every, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So all the spiritual riches of Jesus are yours. You are so wealthy. It's so embarrassing. That's why you can pray for anybody at any time, in any, any situation. Because you are so wealthy, it's just dripping off of you. Spiritual wealth, let alone the physical wealth, which actually you can tap into as well, but we haven't got time to do that. But I've made my point, haven't I? You are wealthy. Royal people, kings and queens, they are wealthy. God is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is so wealthy. You are his children. You are just, you know, you have that same royalty that flows out of him and it's measured in that wealth. You get wealthy first when you become a Christian. Actually, God's made his wealth available to you even before that. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. God is just giving wealth again and again and again to people out in the world. That's not to say that they use it properly. That's not to say that it's not misused. We live in a fallen, sinful world. We know that. But God is so generous with his goodness, isn't he? He is a wealthy God. Let's look at the third one. He is worthy of honour. That's kind of stating the obvious, isn't it? But in Psalm 8 verse 5, he said, he had made me, You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. It's the Hebrew word, hadar. Just put your hand on the shoulder, next person say, hadar. Right? Right, you now know one word in Hebrew. If we have time, we'll do another one later. <laughs> we know God is to be honored. As a royal person, we honour him, don't we? But actually, Psalm 8 verse 5 says, Who, you and me, man, not even Christian man, Christian woman, right, man, he's crowned him with glory and honour. This is so fantastic when you think about evangelism. Isn't it? Even before you get to non-Christians to tell them about the good news about Jesus Christ, they're already crowned with glory and honour. I preached this at my father's funeral. Didn't know, uh, couldn't say for certain whether he was a Christian or not. I hope he did, even on his deathbed, make some sort of commitment to Christ. But I was able to stand in front of my whole family and gloriously say, my dad was crowned with glory and honour. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. Even in your, when you're out 
outside of Christ you're crowned with glory and honour. How much more so, if you are in Christ, are you crowned with glory and honour? Look at that person next to you. They are crowned with glory and honour. That's why you honour them. Because the Bible tells us to honour all people. It was either Danny Silk or Chris Vallotton, I can't remember who says, but nobility, nobility, royalness, nobility grows in the soil of honour. That's why it's so important for us to honour one another in all sorts of ways. And we, you know, we're continuing on that kind of journey of how to do that. But our royal person is worthy of honour. You are worthy of honour. You are royal. The people sitting around you, they're worthy of honour too. Let's do the fourth one. God is a ruler. Royal people rule, don't they? It's not much of a king or queen if they don't have a realm to rule over. So God placed all things under his feet, that's Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything. You made him man, ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. See the parallel there. Everything in creation, in the whole cosmos, is under Jesus' feet. It's his kingdom. It's his rule and reign. But you and I know that that rule and reign, the keys of the kingdom, have been given to you and to me to rule and reign in this world, in Christ's kingdom. In fact, the Bible talks about, you know, uh, God has given us his kingdom and his glory. So we do glory in a minute. But... uh, Right? Royal people rule. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So he rules over all dominion. And he's given you that rulership as well. He gave it you as a creation thing. You know, you have dominion over all the earth. Now in Christ Jesus, you have dominion in the kingdom to release the kingdom of God. To pray for the sick. It's your job as a royal person. Not saying you rush up to every sick person, but every opportunity that you get, you have, you're the guy or the woman for that job. So we're in the, the Robert Pocock on Friday evening with a bunch of people, Dave Fogg and Sasha and Phil, Sharon, Andy Thompson was there, Wendy, uh, uh, Greg, Greg, were you there? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't mean, did you know whether you were there, but you know whether, yeah. And a guy came in with a crutch, he walked out without it. What happened there was very simple on one level. Somebody came in with the rule and reign of Jesus, which is health and wholeness, and exercised that rule and reign and brought healing into somebody's kneecap. They came in with a crutch and they went out without it. In the Robert Pocock, in Gravesend. Come on! Has anybody ever been in there? Just... If you want a miracle, go to the pub. <laughs> and there, there were other things. That, it was a glorious evening, actually. I, was, I, I didn't leave till 11 o'clock. I was on my two legs, but <laughs> didn't leave until 11 o'clock. Bumped into my neighbour, prayed for him. He, he's got something, he, he, I can't tell you what it is, but he needs, needs praying for. So it was, it, was a, it, was, it was us as royal people extending the kingdom of God to the people around us and wherever you go in your workplace at school or wherever you know wherever you hang out you are royal people who take 
a royal appointment to bring the kingdom of God. That's part of your royalty. It's what royal people do. Fifth one. We're doing well. Gosh. Glory. Right? We probably talked to you a lot about this. So many times we kind of reference God in his glory, and that's absolutely true, isn't it? What amazes me... Oh, let's, oh, let's just look at this, because, yeah, in Psalm 24, before we get to that thought. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. That the king of glory, right, there you have the association of royalty with glory, may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. It doesn't take me, especially coming up to Christmas, to tell you that our God is a king of glory. But putting those two ideas together, you see that royal kingship and royalty is to do with glory, isn't it? So if God is royal, he is glorious. If he's glorious, he's royal. They're kind of interchangeable. Are you glorious? Mm. Are you glorious? Are you glorious? Yes. Come on. We're getting the truth in it. Who said that? Oh, Pete in a sermon. No, no. <laughs> well, I might have said it. Actually, Jesus said it, didn't he? Father, he's praying, John 17. Father, give them the glory you gave me. Fantastic prayer. Give them the glory you gave me. 2 Corinthians 3, isn't it? We are being changed from glory to glory. Oh, you actually had some, and now you're going to get some more. Didn't know I had some. Oh, I've got some. Now I'm going to get some more. You are being transformed, aren't you? We are so kind of down on ourselves so often, aren't we? Probably told you the story of, of, of having a dream. It's worth saying again. Having a dream, and I, I go into a police uh, interrogation room. I just know in the dreams, police do. And I'm looking around inside the room for the detectives who are going to drill me for something. I don't know what it is. But I have that just overwhelming sense of I've done something wrong or guilt or condemnation. And these two guys are going to drag it out of me. Or interrogate me. And, and I look around and, and nobody appears. And I, so I start a, a conversation. God, there's nobody here to condemn me. Nobody here to interrogate me. And God says to me, David, you don't need somebody else. You're so good at it yourself. No condemnation. Not even your own. Especially not your own. <laughs> no condemnation is it for those who, who are in Christ Jesus. You know, can you imagine that you are seated with him in heavenly places? That's not the place to have a dialogue with yourself about how God doesn't love you or that other people disapprove of you or that you've done something wrong. You are in the presence of God who loves you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. We know that that's true because of what Jesus did on the cross, but actually if you're seated with him in heavenly places, what would that stuff be doing there anyway? Is there any condemnation in heaven? Is there any sickness in heaven? Is there any, anything that would you know, bring, bring guilt or condemnation in heaven? Are you in heaven? I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. You're in heaven. 
Jesus took you there, through the cross, through the resurrection, you're in heaven. Seated with him, Ephesians 2.6. Seated with him in heavenly places. God is a God of glory. So royalty is about glory. Jesus has given you his glory. He's making you glorious more and more. That's part of your royalty. He is high. You've been taken up there. He is wealthy. He's sharing that wealth with you. He is worthy of honour. You are worthy of honour. He is a ruler. You are a ruler. He is glorious. You are glorious. You are royal sons and daughters of the king. There are at least five other ways that I found that you can define royalty. And I thought I could only do five. Because ten would be too many in the morning. But there is one word in scripture that seems to, and I'm not sure how often we use it, that sums up this whole concept. And I just want to take you on a short journey to explore that. You ready to go on this? So if you find Psalm 93, here we are, spot the word. The Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. Majesty seems to be the most often used word for God's royalty. And majesty can mean, uh, in, according to concordance, excellency, honor, beauty, splendor. Grandeur, greatness. That's what we're talking about when we talk about majesty. No wonder the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty, just to emphasize that. Then turn over to uh, Psalm 40, sorry, turn back to Psalm 45. This is a prophetic, what they call a messianic psalm. So it has a message about Jesus. In fact, this psalm is quoted in Hebrews chapter 1, describing Jesus the Messiah. But I want you to look at this. If God is clothed in majesty, and this psalm is originally addressed to the king. So in verse 1 it says, My heart is stirred by a noble theme. As I recite my verses to the king, my tongue uh, is the pen of a skilled writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace. Since God has blessed you forever, gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. Here's the Holy Spirit conferring splendor and majesty on the king at that time. What am I saying by, by illustrating that? God is full of majesty, but he loves, he loves to confer it on human beings. And your mind might be going like mine might be going, well, I'm not a king. Oh, yes, you are. Well, you're at least a prince. <laughs> you're a king priest. See, actually, God never really intended the Israelites to have kings. The people come and via Samuel, persuade Samuel to persuade God that they have a king. And God sort of relents and sort of gives them a king. Was never his intention. Why? Because all his majesty can be shared around to everybody. Just as God wants all of, his, all of his people to know him and love him and be like him. If he is full of majesty, then he wants you to be full of majesty. If he's full of royalty, he wants you to be full of royalty. If he's full of love, he wants you to be full of love. Whatever characteristic of God, he wants. That's why you know, in the first place, he made you in his image, in his likeness. 
And they went through all the trouble of bringing his son to earth, to die on the cross for you, to be raised from life, to be raised up into heavenly places, so that you could be like him. Put your hand on your heart and say, I am like God. Turn to Hebrews. This is the short journey through the word majesty. Again, describing Jesus. In the past, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He, has, he had provided purification for sins. Sorry, after he had provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It's like the writer here is looking for one word to kind of sum up the splendor, the royalness, the greatness of God. It's the majesty. He sits in the majesty. It's almost like you can catch it just by sitting with, I was going to say it, but it's him, isn't it? It's him. Turn over to chapter 8. And verse 1, the, um, yeah, the point of what we are saying is this, we do have such a high priest, talking about Jesus, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. There you have it again. Jesus is our high priest seated in the place of majesty. But flip over to... A not much preached on letter to Peter. And when I found this verse, it was kind of like gold dust. <laughs> but one Peter, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16 says this. Here's Peter talking about his experience of Jesus. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of... His majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him. Now get this as a description of the baptism of Jesus. When the voice came to him from the majestic glory. Say majestic glory. The majestic glory. Cast your mind back to the baptism of Jesus. And just, you know, Peter is describing that. And with the wisdom and insight of the Holy Spirit, he's saying that voice came from the majestic glory of the Father. This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on... Sorry. <laughs> it's the same as he says in the baptism, but this is a reference to the sacred mountain, the transfiguration. transfiguration. Same concept though. Same concept. So somebody in our school worship on Friday morning, somebody came over to me and just quietly laid their hands on my shoulder and started a prophet. Well, I felt it was like a prayer to begin with. It soon became a kind of prophetic encounter with God. And it went something like this. If, this is not word for word, but it's, you are so loved. You are so loved. You are so, so loved. 
God is so pleased with you. So, so pleased with you. Everything he does towards you is extravagant. It's extravagant. It could have felt almost like being baptized. It could have felt like I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Doesn't it warm your heart when God looks from the majestic glory? God says to you, I love you. You are so loved by me. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we all love you. Do you want to receive some of that? Why don't we just stand? And if it's helpful for you to raise your hands and put your hands out, feel free to do that. Don't worry if you're not comfortable doing that, that's fine. I just want to pray over you. What if Mark, if you could, is Mark still here? Could you just play for us, Mark, while we just pray and minister to people? Let's just come into his presence, or just acknowledge his presence. We've been in his presence. Let's just just acknowledge it. (laughs) If it helps you, just imagine that you are seated with him in heavenly places. Just see yourself on the throne with Jesus. That's what he died to get for you. And if you were to receive everything that Jesus died for, then you need to receive this morning that you are seated with him in heavenly places. And he so, so, so loves you. So Father, I want to release into our hearts this morning from your majestic glory such a sense of love such a sense of being splendid such a sense of royalty such a sense of really knowing who I am and Holy Spirit you search every heart You know us perfectly. You can undo us when we need to be undone. You can put us together when we need to be put together. And in a good sense, I I pray that God ruins you for anything less this morning. (laughs) Come and ruin us, Lord, for anything less than being sons and daughters of our father of our king of our friend who so so loves us and is so so pleased with us and has so so exalted us by his grace to be in a place where there is no place higher seated with him seated with you Jesus (laughs) now Father just release that more and more more and more in our hearts now
nothing disqualifies you. Absolutely nothing. If you know Jesus, he's brought you into that place. So if you've faced condemnation or guilt recently, just put it, put it where it should be. Outside of your life. Sure, if you need to ask God to forgive you for something, just ask him. He forgives instantly because he died for you. Or if sometimes you thought, well, I need to get lower in order to get higher. And there is a right humility. But it doesn't consist of trying to make yourself lower or denying what God has done in you in order to somehow make him transcendent. So Father, forgive us when we think less of ourselves than we ought to. And release us into a true knowledge of who we are in Jesus. That we truly are royal sons and daughters of the King. And Lord, we pray you release the honour that we have received from you to one another. That you'd help us, Father, to live relationships that, that really do honour one another and seek to understand one another and put ourselves in other people's places and all, all those things. I hope God had a word this morning, particularly for people with eating disorders. So if you have an eating disorder, and I don't want to simplify that, but I know sometimes that at heart that can be about your self-image and about your how you view yourself. And God just wants to minister into that and say, you are so worthy. You are so beautiful. You are so splendid. I put my glory in you. You truly are glorious. It's not about how you behave, it's about who you are. Just receive his love this morning. I felt there were others who were wrestling with kind of just almost a kind of anger. See, God truly isn't angry with you. He really does love you and, and, and his love. You know, we're talking about unrighteous anger or a, something that, where anger is mixed up in it. And frustration because something hasn't worked out well and you think maybe even let down by God. And it's almost like God would come and, and say this morning, it's okay. I'm going to work it out. I'm going to work it out for you, for your husband, for your wife, for your family. I work all things together for good for those who love me. Just receive that. He is the ruler of the universe. He knows his job. He's been doing it for a long time. Nothing phases him. He truly is the King of Kings and the Lord.